0: It's Thursday, May 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Matt Copenheffer, and from Motley Full Funds, Tim Hansen. Happy Thursday, gents. Howdy, Chris. Hey. Uh, we're going to talk retail. Uh, David Tepper, the... Uh,
1: hey, hey, can I, can I one second? Yeah. Have you been celebrated yet for your Hall of Fame induction? Uh, there, yes. That, okay. that, <laughs> Just making sure.
0: That, that happened uh, yesterday. Bill Barker ambushed me with that. So, Wonderful. Congratulations. So, thank you. Um, Berkshire Hathaway's 13F filing is coming out later today, so we will make some reckless predictions. Uh, but let's start with the retail. Walmart... Dragging down the Dow index this morning, down about 2% after first quarter profit fell 5%. Here's the quote from CEO Doug McMillan. Like other retailers in the United States, the unseasonably cold and disruptive weather negatively impacted U.S. sales and drove operating expenses higher than expected. On the one hand, he's absolutely right. It was an unseasonably bad winter. On the other hand, this is the fifth straight quarter in the U.S. of declining same-store sales, so it hasn't been horrible weather for five straight quarters. Well, you know
1: the other thing is with I think in the consumer staple sector, like, people aren't going to Walmart every day to pick up a few things, right? Like you go, you have it's a large basket, you buy all your staples, and you go home. And generally speaking, even though there was bad weather, my Recollection of shopping habits in bad weather is that people go when the weather's good and then stock up to prepare for the bad weather. So that even though your average transaction size will change, your total sales—it's not that good of an excuse as to why your as to why your sales were down. I think, as you pointed out, this has been a longstanding trend for Walmart. I think they cycled a negative one point something percent comp with another negative comp this quarter. I mean that that that's not weather. That's that's a problem. I'm...
2: I'll play the devil's advocate. I, I mean, in terms of well, you're wrong. Wow! Next question. Well, <laughs> well, when when you put it like that, um, y- y- you know, I, I agree. I think mostly it's people going for staples, but I think there are a lot of people that may just pop into Walmart for for a thing or two on, on their way home, and when it's particularly cold outside, you get people making fewer. Uh, you know, happenstance type of stops there. And when you have shoppers wandering around the aisles, you get them to buy things that they might not otherwise buy. So, you cut down on that. That's on the revenue side. On the cost side, there were some significant supply chain disruptions that they talked about and that among other things helped boost costs. Um I am a Walmart shareholder. I overall agree with the two of you that it's not the weather I think did uh, did play a role in this quarter. But there's a lot more going on on a Walmart.
0: As a there. shareholder, what do you want to see them do? What, if anything, do you want to see them do with their online platform? Because it would seem like, to the extent that there is a significant growth opportunity for Walmart, that's got to be on the list, doesn't it? Just when you, if only when you consider, on a percentage basis, how few people around the world are shopping online and presumably so many more in the future will be isn't yeah. that one growth area for them
2: well it's 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 big it's a big opportunity and it's but it's a long term opportunity and and i think the way that walmart has been thinking about it, and i think where the opportunity actually is is in marrying the brick and mortar with the online to have shopping and access to products available anytime anywhere no matter where you are and so it's a combination of the big format stores that they've traditionally had um, I guess the Sam's Club stores to some extent in this model, they're opening more of these n- smaller neighborhood stores, and the comps there were actually up 5% this quarter. So you've got a, maybe a little bit of a bright spot there. Pure online, I think, plays part of that picture. But when you think about it online as compared to, like, an Amazon, I don't think you can really expect that Walmart's going to be there and be a legitimate competitor online to Amazon. Why not? Why not? Well, I mean, they. Have, sh- I mean, arguably... have you have you ever shopped on Walmart? Well, this on is, well th- right. Account?
1: Well, this is and this is they should be had they been more forward thinking. They should have. They should. They had such a huge logistics advantage, for example, over Amazon. If you go back, you know, ten years, fifteen years, and they seeded it somehow, um, or allowed Amazon to catch up and and, and probably surpass them, and you know, definitely in online execution, but maybe also now in logistics. And Walmart historically has been the great example of you know the best logistics company out there. You know, and this is just you know why are large companies like Walmart susceptible to disruptive innovation? It's probably that you know they were really good at bricks and mortar retailing, and then this online thing kind of came up. And sure, they started an online division, but they they didn't they didn't marry it to their core strategy. They probably didn't put their A talent on it, and so you ended up with this kind of not very good website um, that, that didn't take advantage of what they were good at. And they got left, and then as more commerce moves online, they find themselves in a very, very um, vulnerable position. When you know, if they'd been a little bit more, if they hadn't hived off these strategies, they probably would be be in a better spot. But you know, from a from a cost perspective, you know, given their purchasing power and their warehousing and their delivery, you know, you know, Amazon right now is thinking about rolling out you know their own trucks and whatnot. Walmart al- already had that; they could have done they could have done a lot more but now you know it seems like they are they're way behind the uh way behind the curve
0: it's interesting even if you step just remove these two from the equation and just look at other retailers in general it does seem though like the ones who are succeeding and in general the last year or so certainly the last 10 months or so have been pretty tough for retailers but it does seem like the ones who have been succeeding do have some sort of significant online a robust online strategy that they are executing against. We've talked before, Tim, about Williams-Sonoma. Um, we didn't talk yesterday on the podcast about Kate Spade, but they came out with earnings yesterday that were boosted in part because of uh, their online strategy that they seem to be doing well with.
1: Well, think in a quarter that's been affected by, by weather,
0: you know, having a, having
1: a website is awesome because that's not affected by weather. And, in fact, you probably get boosted because people are sitting at home Um, with their tablets and their mobile phones with nothing to do because it's two feet of snow outside. You know, sales pick up in that channel and and so that's counter-cyclical in that regard. But yeah, I mean, more and more sales are moving online. People like the convenience, the choice, the comparison shopping. um, And, you know, you can do a simple test and just go look at how many Facebook friends or Twitter followers a, a company has and you can tell who has invested in online marketing and who hasn't. You know, Walmart is one that, Relative to their size, as a as a retailer, has very few um, online followers. Whereas you contrast that with, you know, like a a William Sonoma, you know, Pottery Barn or West Elm, and they've got relative to their overall sales, uh, have, have a lot of people following them on Pinterest and and Facebook and whatnot.
2: There's also a key differentiator between those businesses where Kate Spade pottery bar and those I mean you go to those places because you you get things that you can't get anywhere else. I mean it's it's the brand, it's the product power. With with Walmart like Tim said, the, the logistics and the and the pricing power was such a key differentiator but there aren't things that you're necessarily getting at Walmart besides that lower price that, than you're getting anywhere else. So when somebody can disrupt that, like in Amazon, if I can get the same thing on Amazon at the at the same price or maybe even a lower price in some cases then I lose that. Kate Spade, Walmart's not going to be making Kate Spade bags, as far as I know.
0: David Tepper is a billionaire money manager who runs the hedge fund Appaloosa Management. Uh, Last night at a conference in Las Vegas, uh, he provided some fodder for people who think that the market is overheated, and I'll just read his direct quote here. (laughs) There's times to make money and there's times not to lose money. This is probably when you're supposed to think about preserving some of your money. I think you can still be long, but I think you're supposed to have some cash now. And two more quotes. I'm not saying go short. I'm just saying don't be too freaking long right now. And the one that's getting a lot of attention is when he said, I am nervous. I think it's nervous time. (laughs) Matt, I'll just start with you. Is it nervous time?
2: We. David Hansen and I talked about this on the show actually today, and he he said he heard that quote and he pictured like three o'clock in the afternoon where David David Tepper says it's nervous time and there's like a little dance and everything <laughs> goes along with it. Like
0: a combination of tea time and hammer time.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. it. it's something like that with the pants. Yeah. Um, I I don't disagree with him. He's looking at the same stuff that the the rest of us are. The the market is not particularly attractive right now there there are a lot of sectors in the market that i think look pricey that for a hedge fund manager in particular like david tepper looking out to where he's going he pocketed 3.5 billion dollars in performance fees last year or total fees so when he's looking a year out so you're to saying where, it's nice where am to be, I going to make it? It's the, nice
0: to be David Tepper. No, I, I'm saying
2: it's hard, <laughs> it's it's more difficult to be David Tepper right now because he's looking a year out. He wants to he wants to make the, the big fees again and he's looking at looking at all these stocks and saying, well, where where am I going to make the the, the big money in US stocks right now? And, and I don't I don't think he's wrong from that perspective.
0: I don't know. Uh, for me it's the I'm not saying go short. Like, it, but yeah, if you read, I mean, it's a, hedge, it's a
2: hedged comment
0: from, it, a, from if you, a hedge fund. But manager. if you read between the lines, it kind of seems like he's. Yeah, I, I think what he's. I mean, it's. I think.
1: I think the advice to have some cash available to you now is 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 sound. I mean, it's, it's been useful to have cash over the last couple of weeks with earnings season. I mean, you know, people are seeing dramatic declines in, in um, you know stocks like Amazon and Whole Foods, and if you've got. If you have a, a, a bullish long-term perspective on those businesses, you know, having cash and able to be opportunistic is is a good thing. You know, being short is dangerous, though, as it has been for years now because interest rates are zero. And it's are, I, it's hard to predict a precipitous market decline in the face of extremely low interest rates just because capital, I mean, it's so cheap, people can just lever up and buy back shares, as many are doing presently. Um, you know, but there are, I mean, there are, if you have any interest in emerging markets, um, I mean, those, I mean, the the underperformance there is hitting like a three and a half year cycle now. I mean, at some point that, that comes back. Um, hard to, I think it's hard to be any more nervous about those than people already have been. So that, that would be a place to be opportunistic, but in among us large caps and uh, particularly among us small cap stuff is, Stuff, stuff got pretty crazy there for a while.
0: Is there a particular region uh, you're looking at when you think about emerging markets? Because we've talked about this before. 20, as good as the U.S. market was in 2013, that's basically how bad the emerging markets were in 2013.
1: Uh, Indonesia looks really interesting because the currency has just gotten hammered. And, you know, currency risk is, is a real risk. But, you know, unless you're Venezuela and your Bolivar is never coming back. <laughs> You know, it will even out over time, and and you know the rupee is down to like what is it like twelve thousand to the dollar when it was eight thousand maybe two years ago.
0: Is anyone doing? Is anyone getting creative with the World Cup coming up and basically looking at the groups, the four country groups, and saying I'm going to put together a basket so the U.S. is against. Sounds like you are Germany. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone creating ETFs out there. Like a basket that's like, oh, some German stocks, some stocks from Portugal, Ghana. From Ghana. Go for it. <laughs> is,
2: is that I haven't been following as closely as I should be. Is that really the U.S.'s group?
0: That is the U.S.'s group. <laughs> Pretty tough group. And, yeah, everyone I talk <laughs> to in the brutal. office is just saying, yeah, David Meyer is basically like, yeah, oh, yeah, we're going to go 0-3. We're gonna <laughs> we'll be lucky like to score a goal. Um, later today, Berkshire Hathaway's 13F filing will come out. This is the the quarterly filing. Basically, gives us a window into what Warren Buffett and his right-hand lieutenants, Todd Combs and Ted Weschler, have been buying. You talked about on where the money is. You and David Hansen made some reckless predictions. Reckless. About what you think he, they might be buying. You said Kellogg, yeah, right?
2: Yeah. And to, to be fair, most of what we say on where the money is is reckless.
0: but yeah, <laughs> All he, the more reason people should listen.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Kellogg. Because... Earlier in the week there were there was a lot of options action around traders betting that Berkshire would buy Kellogg outright, buy the entire business. So makes sense to some extent it's it's the kind of business that Buffett would would traditionally be interested in. It's the right type of size, it's in the I believe 20 to 22 billion type of range and with 40, I think about 45 billion in cash on Berkshire's balance sheet. Buffett likes to keep about 20 billion aside you know for that rainy day when you need 20 billion. Uh, so could be but there's a lot of there are, there are a lot of companies that fit that bill. So to be betting with options on the idea that Berkshire Hathaway is going to take over Kellogg pretty reckless.
0: And David Hansen said not that this would be a full-on acquisition, but that his prediction was Microsoft that we
2: will see yeah that we will see shares of Microsoft in the 13f. And that certainly is reckless. That that fits the bill there. Unfortunately, it's only a half-hour show, so I didn't have all the time to go over the reasons why that was stupid.
0: <laughs> that was a, Tim, what do you think? Whether he, it's reckless or just something that you would no, like I, to see him take a flyer well, on? Well, you know, the
1: thing is, the Berkshire 13th just isn't as – I mean, he pointed this out, I think, at the annual meeting where, you know, the equity investments that they – equity investing is no longer really uh,
2: – He said he doesn't get turned on by it yeah, as much as he used to.
1: Because it's – you know. I think he likes doing the the big whole hog deal, and and you know tipping your hand by gradually accumulating shares isn't the way to isn't the way to do that and right. end up paying a good price. So I think thirteen F is not as much fun or as relevant
2: as it used to be, sadly, because it used to be fun. Although just last year added a big position in Exxon, which was kind of surprising.
1: That's true. That's true. But even then, you know, given the amount of capital they need to deploy, it's like there's no longer that sort of you know weird, overlook company that pops up in it. You know, it's, mm. it's like, hey, craft or, you know, whatever.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who knew? Colgate Palmolive. <laughs> eight times EBITDA on a large cap. That's sweet. <laughs> uh, now, now, given what you just said, wouldn't that make it all the more fantastic if the filing comes out and we say... Wow, he took a big stake in Tesla Motors or just twitter just or twitter or just some like Well, yes, so, uh,
1: well that would be, it would be it would be amusing. I don't think it'll happen though yeah. but um that's why it's reckless
2: to him
0: Oh wow well. I think Twitter, <laughs> when you combine the high profileness of Twitter high profileness yes uh, that is a word okay um, or at least I think it is in my own head. the fact that they're not profitable
2: mm-hmm. the, I, it's I, all very Buffett. that's that's what I'm rooting he for. is he's on he's on Twitter. He, Buffett has a Twitter account.
0: But not a very good one. Do we think, no. do no. we think he's actually the one typing away at that?
2: No, I think I saw somewhere that confirmed that he is not in fact the one tweeting. Which is
0: sad. All right. Well, We'll keep our fingers crossed for something reckless and surprising in the 13F filing. Tim Hansen, Matt Cup guys, thanks for being here. Thank sure. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Show is Mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.